Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Psalm 103 this morning. Again, turn with me to Psalm 103. For those of you that are new to Dawson, the ebb and flow, the bread and butter of our worship and the teaching and preaching of God's Word is to walk through extended scripture, sections of scripture, or books of the Bible. In a couple of weeks, actually three weeks after today, we will start a summer series through 1 John. Uh, today, we're going to d- depart from our, our, our common practice for the next four weeks to look into God's Word around a topic, and the topic is forgiveness. And so we're going to, to ask God, what do you teach us, and how do you call us to be women and men who pursue forgiveness in our relationships? Now, this is not an easy thing to do. I think that is stating the obvious for many people that have got some miles on the odometer of their life. I think I was reminded just, just this last week of how difficult this is, but also how needed it is to, to talk about this from the Word of God. It's a journalist based out of New York City that is given the assignment to cover the seminar on forgiveness that is being offered there in Manhattan. Walks into the public library, goes to the seminar room. He expects 40 folks to sort of be in the room. There's over 400 people crowded into this room to hear this rabbi talk on the subject of forgiveness. He starts his his talk, the seminar, by asking a, a very simple question. And the question is, I want you to think of your family, first cousin and closer are there people in your family that are not on speaking terms, first, cousin, or closer? Raise your hand. And so this crowded room, it's got 400 people in it, 10 people raise their hand about, would you, was that about what do you think, 20 people, maybe maybe 50 people would raise their hand to this question. The journalist says they looks around and two-thirds of the room have their hands raised. Two-thirds of the room. There's an audible gasp, just how relevant that subject is to that audience. Listen, you you don't have to be in Manhattan. You don't have to be in New York City to wrestle with unforgiveness and bitterness. I I imagine, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, so don't do this, but if I ask for a show of hands and I tweak the question just a little bit, just tweak the question to be able to ask this, uh, for all of us that are here today, do we have, does anyone have family members or close friends or coworkers that they're not on speaking terms with? Raise your hand. And the reason there's a silence that sort of is deafening is because we know that that is a loaded question. We know, we, we've walked through life and understand that frustration, misunderstanding, and disappointment, hurt, hey, these are bumps on everybody's road. For, for all of life's journeys, there are going to be some, some major speed bumps of hurt and disappointment and misunderstanding. So if you're living and you're breathing, sometime in your life, somewhere, you've got to say three words to someone. And those three words sometimes are hard to say, I am sorry. 
I am sorry. To ask for forgiveness is essential. I would say it's the glue. I mean, it is the glue that holds things together, whether it's marriages that cannot thrive, in the midst of bitterness and unforgiveness or friendships that cannot grow, workplaces are unhealthy, and the church that its witness is marred by bitterness, marred by unforgiveness. Those three words are essential words, and they're hard words sometimes to say, I am sorry, but I think there are three other words put together that maybe are even harder for us to utter in a sentence, and it's not I am sorry, but I forgive you. So where are we headed in this message series? Not today, but in the weeks to come, I want us to answer three questions from God's word. Who should I forgive? How can I forgive? And what do I do when I just can't forgive? Who, how, and what when it gets real messy? And and it is messy. A topic like this is, is really messy, especially for our human nature. And, and the cultural moment that we're in, hey, you will have a lot of people that will clap you in the background and say, well done, yes, when, when you say, hey, I just, I, I've got to move on from this person. And write off people, kind of cancel people, because people are really messy and people are really difficult. And even when we try to pursue forgiveness, we get, we get really confused about what does this exactly mean? Does this mean that we're living in close proximity with these people? Does this mean that the relationship is just restored to, to prior the, the, the harm that has occurred in, in this relationship here? Does this mean that we've got to forget all of what was said and all that what was done and we've got to we've got to erase this and never think of it and then and only then can we actually experience forgiveness and that question coupled with just a myriad of other questions they flood our minds because this is a part of our heart and maybe you're not in the midst of this but a part of human life a part of the brokenness of the fall that none of us have addresses in the Garden of Eden, is that bitterness and unforgiveness will at times haunt us. It will at times suffocate us. And try as we may to just leave it in the past and move on That's just not how it works. So what does God's word say to us as the foundation for forgiveness? How do we pursue forgiveness in our lives, in our relationships? In my neighborhood, there's a house that was recently bought, tore down the house, going back up with another house. I run by it most mornings. So I can kind of watch the progress. And for weeks and months, they've been doing dirt work. For weeks and months, they've been working on the foundation. For weeks and months, they they have been spending every day making sure that the foundation is sturdy and solid. 
And, and once the house is erected, once the house is constructed, all that they've been working on, really, I'm not going to be able to see, nor will you be able to see if you drive past this house. But you know, do you not? That if this foundation is not sturdy, if this foundation is not solid, all that is built up, all that is erected could crumble. The entire project can be compromised. We have to have a strong foundation. When we talk about forgiveness, our foundation for forgiveness is God the forgiver. You hear the word of the Lord in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always shine, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the father, verse 13, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. These first 13 verses of Psalm 103, we hear the heartbeat of our Heavenly Father. We experience the character of God. Now, if you're writing a, you got 150 Psalms. If you're writing the greatest hits of the 150 Psalms, of course, Psalm 23 is going to be on that list. Psalm 119 is on that. You know, we have this whole, hey, Psalm 103 has got to be on the list. It's got to be on the list. Alexander McLaren, that wonderful Scottish pastor from decades ago, said this about the psalm. There are no clouds in the horizon, no notes of sadness in the music of the psalm, no pure outburst of thankfulness enriches the church. It is untouched, the psalm, a sorrow, as if sung by angels in heaven. David is the author. We know that by the heading right under Psalm 103. Look at the heading with me in your copy of God's Word. It just simply says two words of David. We wish it would tell us a little bit more. Some of the inscriptions, the headings of the Psalms that give us the author behind the Psalm, oftentimes they give us a little bit of the historical context of it here. We get none of that. And there are actually no internal clues within the Psalm that point us to a particular moment in David's life. I mean, so, so we kind of wonder, is this Psalm written after David uses his power and his position and his authority to take advantage of Bathsheba? Is this, is this post that rift there? Is this post that, that great sin? 
Is it post the sin of, of David having Uriah killed, Bathsheba's husband killed at the front of the lines? Is, is it after that? Is it after Nathan, the great prophet, comes to David and, and it points out all that has occurred and this sort of parable of parables that penetrates David's heart and says to David, you're the man. D- did David write this psalm after those moments in his life? The answer is we don't know. Which means this psalm has sort of a timeless quality to it. This is a psalm for every woman and every man and every time and every place. And it has an invitation that bookends the psalm. It's an invitation that's repeated at the beginning of the psalm, verse 1, verse 2. It picks up the invitation in verse 20 and verse 21 and verse 22. So the very invitation is an invitation that doesn't have an expiration date on it. It's an invitation to all of us that are here. Hear the repetition of what David says, which is the very heart and theme of the psalm. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 20, we come to the same phrase, bless the Lord, you as angels. Verse 21, bless the Lord, all his hosts. Verse 22, for good effect, last verse, David repeats it twice. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So the question is, well, David, how do we do this? How do we bless the Lord? How do we praise the Lord? How do we honor the Lord? This is the invitation that is given to all of us that are here. And we wonder, like, exactly how do we do this in the context of this psalm? David doesn't leave this to our imagination. He actually gives us spiritual paths to travel in the psalm to do the very thing that he invites us to, which is to bless the Lord. When you're looking through the psalms, this is Hebrew poetry. And Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme in the way that we think cat and hat and bat, you know, that type of rhythmic kind of quality. The way Hebrew poetry works is, is there's extensions in what's called parallelism. And so what happens in the psalm is when you see a conjunction, like in verse two, that and is an invitation, not to a new thought, but it is actually an invitation to, to do what David has invited us to do. Look with me in verse two. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, David, how do we do that? And forget not all his benefits. So the call to remember, the call to forget not is the actual invitation that David is giving us. So all that comes into this psalm is David saying, here are the benefits of the Lord that I want you to richly reflect upon. I want you to be grounded in. I want you to not forget these, not in the sense that that we're, we're just in our mind, just remembering these things. No, David is saying, let this be the very heartbeat of who you are. Forget not all of his benefits. Verse three, what are the benefits of the Lord? Well, he forgives all your iniquity. The benefits of the Lord that God is calling us to experience in and through this psalm is to remember the wonderful truths of who God is and what he has done for each of us. To remember who God is and what he has done. So if we're going to apply this to forgiveness, to walk in forgiveness, church, we must remember who God is and what he has given us. Verse three is this this wonderful invitation 
again, to reflect on, he forgives most of our iniquities. He forgives the forgivable iniquities, the lesser things of our life. He forgives partially. He forgives our iniquities based upon just how deeply sorry we are, how much we've earned his forgiveness. I mean, notice the psalm again. He forgives all your iniquity. He expands upon this very theme in verse 10. He deals not with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Again, verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is this steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Do you hear his heartbeat? Do you hear the heartbeat of your heavenly father? Wasn't that long ago for some of you in this sanctuary to remember when you bring home your infant girl or infant son, all the apprehension that you might feel, all the anxiety that you might feel as new parents. In the middle of the night, you hear the sound of the baby, or in the middle of the day, you hear the sound of the baby. And in one way that you will soothe that child is swaddle that child and to hold that child close to your chest. And as a mother is, is cradling and holding that child, the, the ear of your son, the ear of your daughter is there upon your chest and is soothed often, is calmed often by hearing what? The very soundtrack of the womb. It's here in your heart. For months, that child has heard that soundtrack of the heart of his mother, the heart of her mother. And so this psalm draws us close to the heart of our God. And we hear his heart beat for us. We see in this psalm the very character of our God, that he is a forgiving God, which is astounding. His holiness and his justice, his perfect righteousness, the very fact that he has had a front row seat to all of our worst moments. He knows all of our worst thoughts. And to hear the heartbeat of our God who says he forgives all of our iniquity. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so the passage tells us he removes our transgressions from us. This is the gospel. This is good news for all of us who are weary sinners. What do we need to hear the most in the face of our failures? What do we need to hear the most in the face of our sins? I mean, if you get in your car today and you drive to San Francisco, you're driving away from New York. You're driving to the west and you're leaving the east. If you get in your car and you're headed to Atlanta, you're driving away from Mississippi. You're driving away from Louisiana. You're driving away from Texas. The east and the west, they don't intermingle. They don't touch. They're going in opposite directions here. The east doesn't meet the west. The west doesn't meet the east. They don't touch. They don't overlap here. David is saying, God has removed our transgressions. As far as the east is from the west, they're infinitely and forever gone. They're not coming back. And he sees us at our worst, our worst thoughts, our worst moments. And this is the, the glorious news that we celebrate not only on Holy Week, 
Of course on Good Friday. Of course on Resurrection Sunday. Of course this is the glorious thing that we celebrated this last week, the very news that God's son, Jesus lived a perfect life and died a cruel death and he did that to accomplish this. The forgiveness of this psalm that is offered to all It is a forgiveness that is bought with a price. See, God doesn't forgive by just saying, no big deal. God doesn't forgive your sins by downplaying your sins. God doesn't forgive your sins by saying, you know, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, no big deal, nothing to see here. No. God accomplishes our forgiveness through the death of his son, his perfect son, that forgives an incalculable sin debt that we all owe. One of the most moving scenes in all of literature is Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. We've got two brothers. One is named Ivan, who's this ardent atheist. And then you got Alyosha. Alyosha, at the beginning of the novel, is this novice in the monastery. He leaves the monastery. And so they're at a tavern. And the whole chapter is Ivan and Alyosha having this conversation about the holiness of God, the perfection of God. And Ivan, the atheist, says, there is no way that that God can love humanity. And he has this list of horrendous things that humans do to one another. And, 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 he, and his list is a list of, of awful things that happen to children, and it's gut-wrenching to read. And, and, and you realize that Dostoevsky is actually he's drawing upon true stories that he's putting into the mouth of Ivan here. And Alyosha, he hears one after the other of all of the horrors of sin, all the horror of, of, of the pain that humans can give to one another. And it's sort of this sealed case that Ivan says, how can that holy God ever have a relationship with people like this? And Alyosha, he's just sort of overwhelmed. His brother's brilliant. He has nothing to say. And at the very end of the chapter, he says, oh, you've forgotten one thing. There is one who can forgive everyone, everything, because he has shed his innocent blood for everybody and everything. Church, this is the foundation of forgiveness. God the forgiver. He is the one who can forgive everybody and everything because he has shed his innocent blood for everybody. And everything. Years ago, Philip Yancey wrote a book entitled What's So Amazing About Grace? And he tells a story of this religious conference that was occurring in Great Britain where you had these comparative religions gathering together to talk about what is distinctive about each religious tradition and what is unique about them. So you have Hindu representatives, Buddhist representatives, Islamic representatives, Christian representatives, and others. The way Yancey tells the story is, as the Christian representatives were sitting here having a conversation about what is unique about Christianity that no other religion has a corollary for, has a comparison to. They begin to go down this this list of things in the Bible that no other religion maybe can represent. 
And they say, well, maybe it's this, the resurrection. Maybe it's this, the incarnation. And then, again, you have all these different myths. You have all of these different uh, mythological worlds and all these different things that are coming into this. And they keep on saying, no, this has a representative of this. That other religion has a representative of this. And then, as Yancey tells the story, C.S. Lewis walks into the room, and it's in that moment he asks, what are you talking about? And they say, we're trying to figure out what is exactly unique about Christianity in comparison to all the other religions. And he says, oh, yes, that is simple. Simply easy. It's one word, grace. And it is astounding to think about what is the heartbeat of the gospel. And as these panel experts begin to talk about this, they, they had to agree that what is wholly unique about the, uh, the Christian faith is that God's forgiveness comes to you and to me with no strings attached, free of charge, paid in full, purchased for us. And this goes against every instinct that we have and even the religious instincts that we have. We have to sort of think at the very heart of us that God loves us based upon us actually earning his love. And if we do enough, we will turn the affection of God to us. And if we, if we can earn his love and earn his approval and show up enough and do enough and give enough and be enough, then we might be enough to this God. But Christianity tells us something wholly different, that his love is unconditional and that salvation is through grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. Those alones are the heart of the gospel the heart of the foundation of forgiveness. And actually, church, this is the starting point for any pursuit of human forgiveness for us as followers of Jesus. It's not your instinct. Heavens, I mean, it's not my instinct. It's none of our instinct. Our instinct is to think, okay, I, I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation about forgiveness but I'm, I'm not going to have that conversation until they are really sorry for what they've done. I'm not going to have any conversation about forgiveness until they've learned their lesson. I'm not going to even broach this subject until enough time has passed. I need days. No, I don't need days. I need weeks. No, I don't need weeks. I need months. No, I don't need months. I, I need years. And then we can talk about pursuing forgiveness. When they're sorry enough for what they've done, enough time has passed when they've earned forgiveness. Then we can have a conversation about it. I remind you, Christian, of the obvious. Aren't you glad that that's not how God treats us? Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. The foundation for forgiveness, it, it's not psychological benefits that we might receive from this. We'll, we'll get unstuck. Our health will be better. 
I mean, you, you, can, you can find all of that in this topic about forgiveness now. The forgiveness is what you need for yourself. And I'm telling you, the foundation of forgiveness is that we are called to be a forgiving people because we are a forgiven people. That the foundation of this conversation here is that we're called to be a forgiving people because we are a forgiven people. In any of our conversations about this, if we don't have sturdy footing on a foundation that is solid, the rock solid foundation of the gospel, we will have nothing but missteps and even difficulty. So who do we forgive? How do we forgive? What happens when we get stuck in it? Oh, heavens knows. There are all kinds of questions that come with this, but that's not today. Today is for us to forget not, to forget not his wondrous cross, to forget not his love that is so amazing, to forget not his love that is so divine, to forget not that that love demands my soul, my life, and my all. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.